The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. You've just joined us today or you've been checking out our church online over the last few weeks. We're so glad that you've been joining with us and it's my privilege to come around God's Word with you uh, this morning as we continue our series, The God You're Looking For, which we began about five weeks ago. And in this series, we've been exploring the character of God, really, and what the Bible has to say about who God is. See, um, It's so easy for us to have misconceptions or wrong ideas and concepts about God. And those concepts can make us not want to know this God. But when we actually come to the Bible and we examine what the Bible has to teach us about God, the true and living God as revealed in His Word, we'll find that the God that is revealed in the Bible is perhaps the God that we're actually looking for. And our hope is whether you're, uh, you've been someone who's been following Jesus for many, many years, or you're not even a Christian yet, you're kind of checking Christianity out, that this series will help you to know and understand the God of the Bible that was revealed in Jesus Christ, and that your hearts will be drawn to, to know Him more and to love Him and to worship Him with your whole heart. So why don't I pray and we'll jump into our message this morning. Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to come around your word. I thank you for each person that's listening uh, to this message, watching it uh, online in their lounge rooms or wherever they might be. And Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit will come. And Lord, that you'll prepare our hearts to receive the word that you have for us this morning. As we come around your word and continue our journey in really understanding who you are. Lord, we know um, we can't come to a true understanding of that on our own. We need your help. And so I ask for your Holy Spirit to help me communicate your word faithfully. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will bring revelation into our hearts and our minds and draw us deeper into our knowledge of you we pray this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Well as we begin this morning I I wanted to get you to think about commitment and this idea of commitment and maybe a helpful way for us to come at this is to think about boats. Well more specifically boat owners. Um, Our uh, connect group went for a walk recently uh, from Rose Bay to Watson's Bay and I saw these beautiful boats that were on the marinas and in jetties and out docked, uh, anchored uh, just off uh, the walk. Beautiful boats. And it just got me thinking about different kinds of boat owners. So I want you to imagine with me any given weekend. And I think there are probably three main types of boat owners. And you probably could apply this to any other hobby or interest. And really, if you think about it, any other area of life and how commitment plays out. You've got the first category of people who have these beautiful, massive ocean cruisers. Let's assume that all the boat owners we're talking about today have the same kinds of boats. But you have some owners who will go to where their boats are and spend the weekend on their boat, but it never actually leaves the jetty. They, they have their meals there. They cook in the galley, in the kitchen. They sleep in the boat. They, they enjoy being on the boat with their family, their friends, and having a great time, but they never actually leave and go anywhere on their boat. They don't even turn the engine on. 
And then you might have the second category or group of owners who actually take it that little step further and they get into their little dinghy, they row out to their boat, they get in, they start up the motor um, and they go for a bit of a cruise in the harbor uh, within the safety of the harbor. Um, and if you know the storms look like they're coming, they quickly come back into the safety of the harbor, drop anchor and spend the night there. They might still cook on their boat, sleep on the boat and spend the weekend on their boat and just go out on little day trips, little kind of hops around the, the secluded and safe areas of the harbor. And then you have the third category of boat owners. Now, when they go out on their boats for the weekend, they really go out. They go all out. They weigh anchor, they start up the motors or set the sails, and they leave the harbor. They go out of Sydney Harbor, and they go out into the open water uh, where there is uncertainty and risk, and, and they might head out for the whole weekend, go on a long trip away from the safety of the shore where they can't even see land anymore, uh, open to the potential of there being storms and rough seas, but they're out there and they're not planning on getting back anytime soon. They're out there enjoying the exhilaration of their boat. So they cook on their boat, they sleep on their boat, but they're not anywhere near land. They're actually enjoying the full experience of what it means to own and enjoy that boat, how it was created and intended to be. Three different people. Now, if you asked all of those three people what they did on the weekend, they'd probably give you the same answer. I spent the weekend on my boat. But three very different types of experiences that are born out of three different levels of commitment. And it's interesting when you think about commitment that way in any area of our lives, you'll see that there are people in all of those categories. Commitment is a spectrum. And one of the things that we know about our culture is that these values of commitment and faithfulness are radically different to how they used to be maybe 10, maybe 20 years ago. Back then, it, it, it wasn't unusual to hear of people who were married for 40 years and 50 years and 60 years or who went to the same church for their whole life or who stayed with the one job for 30 years or 40 years um, or who, if they were an athlete or a sports star who was signed to a, to a, a sports team and stayed with that team no matter what offer, other offers they got and they just stuck it out. They was, were committed to the team that they were signed to. And, and you, you could see that in, in a whole other, uh, in every other area of life where there was this uh, sense of deep commitment and loyalty and faithfulness. But we live in a, in a current generation, in our culture today, that's really rare. In fact, you know, for you to stay with the same company for more than a, a few years is now seen as a negative thing, a bad thing. The, the, the constant moving and shifting you know, from company to company, it's actually celebrated as a, a virtue and people are uh, honored for that. Uh, the same in, in every other area. Marriages, you know, the average lifespan of a marriage is much, much shorter than it used to be. Uh, sociologists say that uh, our current generation uh, is the, the commitment-averse generation. They are commitment-phobic. Um, they're, they're the generation that wants to keep its options open, the non-joiners, the, the commitment-free generation. That's how they describe our current generation. And it's interesting because you see the evidence of this even on Facebook. When there are Facebook events, you have the going, not going, and then this in-between category, interested. And so many people click that option. They don't want to commit. They don't want to get locked in. They want to keep their options open. They're waiting for a better offer. So this idea of commitment is, is very, very different today. And 
I think if we're honest, we can see the results of that. It's created an instability. It's created this idea that we can't really depend on anything, that there's nothing really solid and definite. And COVID has exacerbated all of that because it's kind of brought into question, what can we really rely on? What can we really be secure in? It's not in our health, maybe not even in our jobs, maybe not even in our relationships, because there isn't that sense of commitment to stick it out no matter what. And so we're in this interesting place where we're commitment phobic, but then our hearts also long to know that dependability and that security and that confidence from being committed to. We long to know that we are worth being committed to, or that there are people who are committed to us. And so we're caught in this tension that I think in our culture that breeds anxiety and, and, and frustration and, and worry and insecurity because We don't find that kind of commitment. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today that the God of the Bible is the God who is always committed to you. And that's the title of my message this morning. The God of the Bible, the God who is always committed to you. And I'm really excited to share this with you. And I hope that it really encourages and blesses your heart today. And I'm going to be speaking from the passage that uh, Sheila read to us a moment ago. It's found in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 67 to 79. Uh, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And we're just going to spend a few moments looking at some uh, key thoughts and principles about God's commitment uh, and, and this idea of God being the one who's always committed to us and what that means and looks like. So um, I hope you've got your Bibles and I hope you're able to follow along. So just uh, five key principles I want to share with you this morning and move through this quite quickly, hopefully. Um, The first one is that the God of the Bible is a God who makes and keeps commitments. He makes and keeps commitments. He's not commitment phobic. He's not, you know, reluctant to commit himself. He he doesn't keep his options open. He's the God that commits himself. Uh, Notice what it says in verse 69. He says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 72, To show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. The God of the Bible is a God who makes and keeps commitments. And uh, the writer here, Luke, is reminding these people through Zechariah's prophetic song that God is fulfilling promises that he made thousands of years ago to the ancestors of Israel. And as we go through the pages of the Bible, we see time and time again, God revealing himself as the commitment making and keeping God. All the way back in Genesis 3, God makes a commitment to Adam and Eve that one of their descendants would be the Satan crusher. Then he makes a commitment to Noah that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood, that he would preserve Noah and his family in the ark. He makes a, a commitment to Abraham uh, that is referred to here in our passage, that he would have a son and that God would bless him and that through him all of humanity would be blessed. And later on that God would give him a land. And even though his people, his descendants would go into in slavery in Egypt, that God would rescue them and bring them out and establish them as a nation in the land of Canaan. And then when Moses led the children of Israel out, God makes a covenant with them, a commitment and an agreement that he will be their God and that they would be his treasured possession and his treasured people, that he would guard them, that he would bless them, that he would provide for them, that he would go ahead of them. And then he made a promise to David that David would always have a descendant that will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And then he made a promise to Solomon that Solomon would be the one that would build this temple and usher in the most prosperous and blessed time 
in Israel's history. And then as things began to unravel and, and the people rebelled and turned from God and they ended up in captivity and enslavement in Babylon, God then again promised that He would remain faithful to His commitment and His promise and His covenant to be their God and that He would bring them back and restore them to the land of Israel again. And in the prophetic writings, we even get a glimpse of God keeping His commitment even beyond that time and that there would be this anointed one, this Messiah figure that would come that would through His suffering and death bring about redemption and forgiveness and restore God's people to Himself, that God would bring pardon and and cleanse and purify people from their sins through the suffering of this anointed one. And then we come to Mary and Joseph in the New Testament. And it's appropriate that we're launching our Christmas season with this message because God then makes a promise to a virgin betrothed to Joseph that she would have a son born of the Spirit supernaturally and that he would be extraordinary and that he would be God in flesh and that he would be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And then God made a promise after Jesus was resurrected that this good news of Jesus, of His suffering and His death, bringing redemption and forgiveness for all humanity, this good news will be proclaimed to every nation, to people all over the world through this fledgling church of 120 people that were gathered on the day of Pentecost because the Holy Spirit would come on them in power and that they would be witnesses of this good news all over the world. And it did and it happened. And so we see over and over again that our God is a commitment-making and a commitment-keeping God. The second thing I want to highlight for you is that God is committed to fulfilling His plans and purposes. And we see that in the passage. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, verse 74. To enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And verse 77. To give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is a really important point for us to grab. Because see my title The God who is always committed to you can lead to the wrong assumption that God is committed to giving me what I want, to meeting my every need, like this heavenly genie who satisfies my every wish and desire, that God is committed to my happiness and to giving me good things. And there are many people within the church uh, that have that understanding of God's commitment. But this passage makes it clear that God's commitment to us is infinitely greater than just the here and now. Yes, God is committed to caring for His people as our Heavenly Father, absolutely. But His ultimate commitment to us is for us to know Him, for us to know forgiveness, for us to be able to uh, live in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days, to give us the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because God wants to show us His mercy and He wants us to walk in the hearts of peace. That's God's desire. God is completely and utterly and ultimately committed, not just to our temporary good, but our ultimate good. And that ultimate good is in us knowing Him and being able to live with Him in heaven forever. So in one sense, God is committed to our happiness. He is committed to our joy and our fulfillment and our satisfaction, but maybe not in the ways that sometimes we think. 
So God is always committed to you, yes, but He's committed to you according to His purpose that you would know Him and that you would walk with Him and that you would have His presence and your, His joy and His peace and His love and His life in your life and that you would know what it is to, to, to be in God's family and that's God's desire for you and for me. The third thing I want to show you from this passage is that God doesn't just make private commitments in His mind. He goes public. He, he puts His commitment on record. We're told in verse 70 that all of this is as He said through His holy prophets of long ago. See, in our culture sometimes we're, we're, we're afraid to make commitments. Like I said with Facebook, we, we don't want to say, I am going. We, we kind of go with interest. We hedge our bets in case there's a better offer. And we do that with a lot of things. People uh, live in de facto relationships because they don't want to make the public declaration, the public commitment of a marriage. People don't like signing membership forms or signing up for things or uh, uh, signing contracts because they feel like they're going to be locked in with no way out. And so we, we shrink back from making these public commitments, but not so with God. Throughout the Bible, God goes on record. He, he, he wants us to hold Him accountable. He wants there to be no way out because He's not planning on taking any way out. He goes on record because He's that committed to you and to me. And He wants everyone to know it. And throughout the Bible, as I said, we, we see that God makes these commitments to His people in every generation. And God reveals these commitments to us through His Word. And one of the most amazing uh, demonstrations of that is uh, the, the account in Genesis 15, where God goes on record of backing up His commitment, His promise to Abraham with a very public commitment act, if you like. And it's the event where God tells Abraham to cut up all these animals in half and to lay them on the ground. And in a vision, Abraham sees this representation of God, this flaming pot walking between these cut pieces. Now, if you're not familiar with biblical history, um, uh, that might seem like a really strange and weird thing, but it was a covenant ceremony. And what people used to do in biblical times was whenever two people made an agreement and a, and a covenant, they call it cutting the covenant. And what they meant was that these animals would be cut and the two people making the covenant would walk holding hands through the cut pieces of, the, of these animals. And what they were declaring publicly in that process was to say, if I violate the terms of this agreement, if I fail to keep the commitment that I'm making today, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. That's what they were saying. And so what God is saying to Abraham, who was questioning whether God was going to keep his commitment to give him a son and to bless him and to uh, live up to all the promises that God had made in Genesis 12, God says, all right, I'm going to go public, I'm going to go on record, and I'm going to show you that I'm good with my word. And he does this thing to show to Abraham, Abraham, you can be absolutely sure that I will keep my commitment because I'm going public with this commitment. The, the fourth thing I want to, want to say to you, which is also incredibly staggering about God's commitment, is that God's commitment is not based on our commitment to Him. His commitment to us is solely based on His character of being a commitment-keeping, faithful God. It's independent of our faithfulness to Him. And what's interesting is that in Genesis 15, when God goes through this covenant ceremony with Abraham, Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces as he would have had to if he was making a covenant with anybody else. God walks through the pieces alone. What God was in essence saying to Abraham is, Abraham, I am going to keep this covenant 
with you, this agreement, this commitment I'm making with you, I'm going to keep it, whether you keep your part or not, whether you, you uphold the terms of your agreement or not, I, as a covenant-keeping God, am going to keep this covenant with you. Incredible. Profound, And we see that throughout the Bible, and we see that in our passage. In verse 72, um, uh, Zechariah's song, uh, Luke recounts for us, says, To show mercy to our ancestors, to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our Father. And why is that significant, this, this idea of mercy and remembering? Because when you read the Old Testament, throughout biblical history, the children of Israel failed to keep their end of the covenant. They blew it time and time and time again. And yet we're told that God has mercy on them because that is His nature, that God remembers His holy covenant that He made with Abraham and He keeps it. And if you want a a vivid demonstration of this truth, read the book of Hosea, which is such a profound display of God's faithfulness to keep His covenant in the face of our unfaithfulness. When we blow it, when we fail, when when we are not able to keep our commitment to Him, he still remains committed to us. Listen, what, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13. A great verse. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. What that's saying, and what we've, what we've seen in our passage from Luke as well, that God cannot be anything but faithful. It's not in His nature. It's not in His character to be anything but a commitment-keeping God. That's just who He is. Isn't that good news? Isn't that incredible? But wait, there's more. I've got more good news for you. The last point, number five, is that God not only makes covenants, He not only keeps covenants, but He also has the power and the means to actually deliver on His covenant. See, it's one thing to be able to make a promise, whether it's on your wedding day or sign a contract or whatever it is. It's one thing to make the commitment, but it's another thing to be able to actually follow through and deliver on it. But the God of the Bible, over and over again we've seen, demonstrates that He's able to. Now while that's not explicitly stated in our text, it's inferred and implied because this song is happening thousands of years after these initial promises were made. And Luke is saying, see, God is now fulfilling and keeping the commitment He made to Abraham, that He made to our forefathers, that He made to David. God has been able to, in spite of everything, world history, chaos, political upheaval, our own sin and failure, God has been able to keep his commitment. I remember when our kids were little and we used to tell them that we're going to take them to the movies or take them out to dinner or go on a holiday or something. And for whatever reason, if the circumstances change, they would whine and say, but you said, dad, you said that we would do that. You said we would go to the park. You said you would take me bike riding. You see, you know, I had every good intention of keeping my word, but sometimes I didn't have the means. We might not have had the money to do that in that time, or we might our calendar might have changed and events might have propped up, and now you know I couldn't follow through because I had to reorder my schedule. All kinds of things happened that meant I couldn't necess- necessarily deliver on the commitment I'd made. But it's never like that with God, because God is always able to deliver on the promises that He has made. How incredible. What wonderful good news. And I think if we grab a hold of this, what it ought to do in our heart is bring incredible peace. 
incredible security, incredible de dependence. You know, people say things like they don't make them like they used to when they talk about cars and appliances and fridges because things just fall apart. And we could say that about relationships. You know, friends aren't like they used to, like they used to be. We could say that about marriages. We could say that about a whole bunch of different things. But when, we, when it comes to God, we can categorically say, God, you will always be there for me. You will be committed to me no matter what. And that ought to create in us, in the midst of everything else that is insecure and not really dependable, and when, they, when nobody else and nothing else is really committed to us, that we have this assurance that's deep in our spirit, deep in our soul, this incredible assurance that we can have in our heart that the God of the Bible the God revealed in Jesus is always committed to us. And that's really, really encouraging because then when it comes to the promises that we have in the New Testament, we can still be so encouraged that the God of the Old Testament who made and kept His promises is going to keep the promises He has made to us. Which means that if you're not yet a Christian and you've been checking out Christianity, then I want to tell you this promise in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 that says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that promise is for you. If you call on the name of Jesus, if you put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins, you will be saved. You will know salvation. You will know God's forgiveness and pardon and have the assurance of being with Him in heaven forever. No matter what, God will keep the commitment He has made to save you if you call out on the name of Jesus. For those of us who are Christians, we can have the assurance of our tomorrows because in, in Matthew 6, uh, 34, Jesus reminds us that, you know, we can't control tomorrow, but our Father knows. And if we seek first His kingdom, then we can be assured that He will meet our every need, not according to our purpose, but according to His purpose for His glory. God will care for us and provide for us all that we need to continue to know Him and grow in Him and to accomplish His purpose through us in the world. We can have that security and assurance of not worrying because our Heavenly Father knows our needs and is able to provide all that we need. We have the promise in 1 John 1 9 that you know when we fail and we will fail when we let our God down, when we sin, when we rebel, that if we come to God in repentance and confession, that He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all our sin. What an incredible promise and an incredible assurance we have in the commitment that God's made. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we have the assurance that when we're tempted, we don't have to be afraid because our God will never let us be tempted more than we can handle and will always provide a way out. And that's what He's committed to doing. And we can look for that because our God will uphold the commitment He has made. And then ultimately, we can have this incredible assurance of our eternal hope and security because in Romans 3.24, we're told that that confidence is not based on our righteousness. It's not based on us being perfect, getting it right, never failing God, never sinning. No, it's based on the righteousness of Jesus because that righteousness is given to us. And because we stand when we've asked God's forgiveness through Jesus and we trust Jesus, when we stand in Christ, we have an incredible assurance that our eternal hope and our eternal security is sure because the God of the Bible is committed to fulfilling His promise to us on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. What incredible assurance, what incredible peace we can have, not just for now, but for all eternity. So how do we foster this confidence? How do we keep growing in this assurance that 
that, that will help us to live in the, in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of upheaval in our world. Well, I want to encourage you to think about four different stories, four different stories that hopefully will keep building up your faith and encouraging you in this. The first story is God's story, history, uh, the way God dealt with His people in, in the Bible as we spend time in God's Word and study the Scriptures and we look to these incredible accounts of God's faithfulness in the past. I believe that it will encourage us and challenge us in the uncertainty that we face. Henry Townsend said in his book, Necessary Endings, that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so if we're ever wondering, is God going to be committed to fulfill His promises to me, to fulfill the promises that I read in the New Testament, then we can be assured because as we read the Old Testament and we see how God was faithful and true and kept His promises to them, that He will continue to do that for us. The second story is the gospel story. Remembering that God just didn't cut to bits of animals in half to show the, the extent of His commitment. No, He took on flesh and He came and suffered and died on a cross for us in the person of Jesus. Jesus came. God the Father gave up His only begotten Son to honor the commitment, to keep the commitment He made to save us, to send one, to rescue us from Satan, to crush Satan's head, to bring us freedom and liberty and forgiveness through His work on the cross. And because God has done the ultimate in sending His most beloved and precious Son, then why will God withhold any other commitment to us? And that's what Romans 8 says. Paul says, if God has given us His Son, then how will He withhold anything else? He's given us His ultimate. And that's why communion and that time of reflection around communion and the Lord's Supper is so powerful because it reminds us of what God has done for us in Jesus to uphold the commitment to save us. And if He's done that, if He's given us the ultimate, then we can trust Him to honor the other commitments that He has made. The third story I want to encourage you to look to is your own story. As you look back over your own life and see how God has been faithful to you over the years, all the ways that God intervened and and healed and blessed and provided and led and cared and, and, and did all those amazing things in your story, how He even brought you to faith and how God intervened in different parts of your life. Uh, as you look back on your life, like the poem, Footsteps in the Sand, maybe you will be able to see the evidence of God's faithfulness, the commitments He's made. And that ought to encourage you to look ahead with confidence, with the uncertainty that you might be facing, knowing that the same God who brought you through those things in the past will be with you as you step into the uncertainty of the future. Look to your own story. Keep a gratitude journal. Keep a record of all the times that God has answered your prayer and all the times He's blessed you and provided for you in incredible, supernatural, gracious and loving ways. It will encourage your faith. The last story I want you to look to is other people's stories. Other people's stories. Just like God has been faithful to you, He has been faithful to so many other people. And it's a great opportunity to be encouraged when you listen to other people's stories and ask them how God has been at work in their life. And as they share and tell their story, and and you can see how God has moved in their life, it can again encourage you in your own journey, in your own faith, maybe at a time when you're not seeing the evidence of God's work in your life at present. You know, something profound I've noticed, you know, the hymn that we we love in our church, Great is thy faithfulness, your mercies are new, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, your hand has provided. You know, when you see young people sing that song, yeah, they sing it, and they kind of sing it very, very casually, 
But have a look the next time we sing it at the older people in our church, the, the older saints of our church who've been walking with Jesus for many, many years. And notice how they sing it. It's different. They sing it with such depth of conviction and, and certainty because they know it's true. As they look over their life, they can truly say, Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord my Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. And it's moving and it's powerful to see the truth of those words lived out in people's experiences. And so that's why I'm really excited that, you know, over the next two Saturdays at our face-to-face services, and if you're watching online, we invite you to join us. Meet us on the 12th and the 19th at Toongabi Baptist Church for our face-to-face services. We're going to have opportunities for testimonies for us to share these stories, to encourage one another in how God has been at work in our lives so that we can build up our faith together as we face the uncertainty of the new year. We don't know what that's going to be like and how it's going to turn out. But as we recount God's goodness to us this year, as we look back over these last 12 months in what has been a very difficult year, and we can see God's footprints in the sand, and we can see God's handprints over our lives and over our stories, we can be encouraged as we encourage one another through testifying to God's faithfulness and goodness. So I encourage you, come prepared. We might only have like one or two minutes for each of us to be able to share, and we'll try and get as many people to share as possible. But we'd love for you to come and declare the goodness and faithfulness of our great God. As I finish, just want to ask you a couple of questions for you to reflect on, and maybe you might want to explore these in connect groups. Um, just to challenge you in, in our concluding moments. The first question is, how committed are you to this God who is always committed to you? How committed are you to the God of the Bible? How committed are you to Jesus? Are you like the first group of boating people? You know, you go to church maybe a couple of times a year, Easter, Christmas, you know, but that's it. You, you, it's casual. Or maybe you're in the second category of boaters. You, you, you go to church maybe every Sunday. You put a little bit of money in the offering. You know, you, you do a little bit of serving here and there. You help out. But, you know, when it gets too difficult or inconvenient or church goes from a Sunday to a Saturday or goes online and not face-to-face, then it's different. You can't handle that or it unravels for you and that commitment isn't there. Or are you the one that, like Jesus says, you're all in? You've laid down your life. You've taken up your cross and you're following Jesus. And if he challenges you about something and convicts you to give up something, you've, you've already made the commitment that you're all in. You're all in. Where are you at with your commitment to Jesus? The second challenge is how are you going with the commitments you've made and keeping? Are you, are you making and keeping commitments? Even in the gospel, Jesus says, I want you to consider the cost before you decide to follow me. Count the cost. Do you have what it takes? Because it's going to take everything to follow me. And with your other commitments, with your marriage, with your friendships, with your parenting, with your work, with church, with serving, with giving, with every part of your life, how are you at making and keeping your commitments? Because God takes them seriously. God wants us to be like Him who takes seriously making and keeping commitments. Uh, About the vows that we make, even Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be your no. How serious are we with our commitments. I'll leave you with those questions. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes as we pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's challenging but encouraging that you are the God who is always committed to us. Father, sometimes we get discouraged and we question and we wonder. 
And I pray that, Lord, today we would be encouraged to know that you are the God who is always committed to us. And, Lord, you make those commitments public. You don't keep them hidden to yourself. You let us know what you're committed to. Lord, you're committed to bring us into a knowledge of Jesus more and more and more and to live in your peace and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. And Lord, what wonderful news that you're committed to us even when we fail you and disappoint you and let you down. And you have the power to back up the promises that you've made. You've, you've got the means to deliver on the promises you've made. And we thank you and we worship you. And we pray that you'll help us to carry that conviction and assurance and peace with us knowing that you are the God that walks with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And so I pray that you will help us examine our own hearts in our own commitment to you and our commitments to each other in every area of our lives that we might reflect you, our commitment-making and keeping God in the world that we live in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.